turn with me, if you would, to tonight's reading out of Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. And while you're turning to there in your Bible, as Doug continues his series of sermons on hospitality, this is indeed a difficult passage. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to the one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Herein, the word of the Lord. Well, this summer I've been asking you to, uh, to practice a little thought experiment. And I've said, uh, imagine that we were an urban monastery seeking the peace of the city. And I realize that's not an immediate uh, image for a lot of us. We've defined an urban monastery like this. We could, an urban monastery seeks the peace of the city by offering a school for the Lord's service and extending hospitality to guests. And I'm just taking a little bit of time this summer at the beginning of each sermon to kind of go back in history and, and review how God has used urban monastic communities to bless cities. And we started with Benedict last week. Now we'll move over the channel to Ireland and just quickly visit St. Patrick. Patrick uh, grew up in Britain, became a Christian, was taken captive by Irish pirates, was taken over to Ireland, spent six years in captivity, escaped, went back, said, I'll never go back there again. Then he met God. God said, go back. He went back. He took the gospel to Ireland and began to evangelize all over the, the, the aisles there. And one of the things that happened as he preached the gospel uh, was that he started to form monastic communities in this this brand of, uh, of uh, Christianity is often called Celtic Christianity, and it's 
very much rooted in the earth and the wind and the soil. It had a very interesting approach towards pagan cultures. It was very different than the approach in the West and Rome. Patrick would, would try to find uh, the glimpse of God in the pagan ritual and then try to weave it into the Christian tradition. It's, it's a fascinating story. But for our purposes, what I want to just remind you of is that Patrick started monasteries, communities of hospitality in villages all across Ireland. They also become hospitals, and they helped nourish Ireland throughout the entire Dark Ages. There's a book called uh, How the Irish Saved Civilization, and it's essentially about the monastic movement. So that's another little example of of, uh, an urban monastery seeking the peace of the city. And so as we think about what that might look like for our church, uh, we're, we're asking, well, what does it look like to practice hospitality in our city? And, and, and I'm trying to take us through the main texts in the Bible that lay out a biblical vision for hospitality. And this is one of them. Actually, this is probably the primary text in the Gospels uh, laying out a vision for, for hospitality. And it is a difficult text. So we'll just kind of listen to what it says to us tonight. Uh, Jesus is a few days away from his death. He is preaching a sermon on the last judgment. As he often does, he identifies himself as the Son of Man, a messianic term from the book of Daniel. Uh, He says that he's going to return and one day judge uh, everyone who's ever lived. And he says he's going to divide them into two groups. And this metaphor would have been uh, familiar to a lot of them who grew up in a kind of a shepherding culture, sheep, uh, and goats. And this is something that a shepherd would actually do as well. The sheep he identifies as the blessed, as the righteous. And to these, he says, come, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And then he goes on to identify what, what the marks of an authentic Christian, marks of someone who is truly in relationship with him. I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. How do you tell if someone is truly in relationship with Jesus? By these practices that seem to naturally flow from their life. And at the core, they're all hospitality. The word stranger in the Greek is xenos or xenon. The word love is phileo. The word for hospitality is philoxenia or philoxenon. And so hospitality is, is, is the core, the heart of what a Christian looks like when he or she is living out his or her faith in the world. And I, this just is challenging on so many levels. We, we could probably have an interesting discussion tonight on all the things Jesus doesn't say in this passage. I mean, clearly he hasn't read John 15 or Romans 8, and he's leaving out all sorts of wonderful texts about the Romans way. Uh, but he's, this is what he's asking us to think about tonight. He's saying, look, you want a relationship with me? What's your relationship like with the stranger? I've been uh, on an interesting little uh, journey this summer. I've been reading leadership books on business. And uh, that's very different for me. That's not, I usually read a lot of theology. I'm not a very business-oriented guy. And honestly, I, I'm realizing I have a bias against business. 
because I don't like the church to be consumeristic and all that kind of thing. So at first, I was kind of kicking back and going, this doesn't apply, and this doesn't apply, and who cares how many Marlboros they sell in Europe, and all these kind of things. And a friend said, well, slow down a little bit. Maybe there's something you can learn from these business books. And so I did. I'm reading one right now Tommy Smith recommends. It's called The, the Lean Startup. Um, and it's about entrepreneurship. And it's all about customers and what happens when they don't want your product. And for a moment, it, I had this thought that as a pastor <laughs> in urban America in 2018, most of the people in our market don't want the product. And they talk a lot about branding and, and what Christianity is to, is to be known for. And I think this is a passage about branding. What is, what is the gospel community to be known for? It's to be the place where we're welcoming. I've also been thinking a lot about evangelism lately. In the fall, Taryn uh, Ellsworth is, is helping me with a, with a series we're going to do on the Ascension Gifts in Ephesians 4. There's five of them. One of them is evangelist. And I've just been thinking, well, what does evangelism look like? And, and I'm old enough that I remember Billy Graham, I, 1984, Los Angeles Crusade, took my neighbor, Ted Esparza. He was a baker for the local, uh, local uh, grocery store. Ted walked the aisle that night. It was one of the most powerful moments of my life to watch these people streaming down towards Billy Graham as he preached the gospel. And there's a part of me that feels like that's evangelism. That's, when you ask me evangelism, I think of Billy Graham. Well, not too many years ago, maybe 10, maybe 15, I took a, young people, a bunch of young people to a crusade. And uh, I, I, it was a very, very popular evangelist, and you probably know his name, and uh, we were at the table, and he was preaching. It was powerful. And in the middle of it, I realized, they think this is funny. They think this is a joke. And then afterwards, I got a call from the crusade organizer who was all excited. He said, do you know everyone you brought to the crusade was saved last night? You know what they did? They all wrote the other person's name down on the car and <laughs> said that they had come to Christ. It was a total joke to them. And I just remember thinking, wow, the world is changing. Uh, the world is changing. The, the way that we share the gospel is changing. I don't think the gospel is changing. And, and so I've been thinking, well, what does it look like to, to witness to people today, whatever you want to call it, post-Christian, secular, la, 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 whatever it is. What does it look like? Maybe it has something to do with hospitality. Maybe it's creating a space where people can come in, you know, whatever they're from, whatever color their hair is, whatever their sexual orientation or whatever, and start asking their questions with God. Now, the best book I've ever read, or the best writer on hospitality I've ever read is Henry Nouwen. And the best book I ever read, he's a Catholic writer who's passed away now, but um, it's called Reaching Out, Three Movements of the Spiritual Life. I just, I just love him. I miss him. Um, he, he writes a chapter called um, From Hostility to Hospitality. It's 
just brilliant. It's just brilliant. And if we could pull that quote up, um, here's the, the line before it. In our world full of strangers, estranged from their own past culture and country, from their neighbors, friends, and family, from their deepest self and their God, we witness a painful search for a hospitable place where life can be lived without fear and where community can be found. And now we'll pick this up. Although many, we might even say most strangers in this world, become easily the victim of a fearful hostility, it is possible for men and women and obligatory for Christians to offer an open and hospitable space where strangers can cast off their strangeness and become our fellow human beings. And then he has this wonderful line. I might read just some quotes from the, from the summer where he talks about hospitality creating a space where enemies can become friends. Now, let me just say one more thing before we move on. I think that certainly applies very literally to prisoners and, and the, the naked and everything in that text. But remember, the root word of stranger is xenos, um, other, uh, alien, uh, different. And I, I think this wonderful teaching also applies to any other human being who is different than you. And I think that would like include the whole world. (laughs) You're welcome, Alfred. Yes, yes. (laughs) Hospitality is is not just welcoming, you know, uh, someone from another country, although it's that. It's welcoming any other human being God puts in your life no matter how different they are from you. And I want to say, we, I just want to gently say, it's really important that we pay attention to this when we talk about very passionate political questions. It's very, very important. Because somehow we seem to feel that it's, it's, we all should love the immigrant, but the person who watches Fox or CNBC, or whatever you're, you know. I can hate them, because they're the other side. This is a conservative, liberal thing. It's not just one side. I actually think the harder work may be creating a space in our congregation where people who see hot political topics entirely differently can actually come together turn off Facebook, listen, and not hit each other. I think that's actually the real hard work of hospitality. I had a conversation recently with a wonderful person, and I, I won't say much about it. I don't want to violate a confidence, but his, his very, very passionate particular views on uh, a very articulate, very thoughtful, and and I would say more on the, the right side of things. And, and he was wondering whether or not we'd be the kind of church for him. And I said, you know, we won't be the easiest church for you. It would be easier for you to find a church where everybody agreed exactly as you. And I gave him a list of them. <laughs> I said, I'll call them for you. <laughs> but I said, man, we need you. 
because this is a very humble, gracious man who loves to kind of explore different sides of topics. I said, we just need you to create a table where we can disagree well together under the authority of Scripture. That's hospitality. That's hospitality. And one more thing while, while I'm on it. This week I've said enough to make all of you mad at one point along the way. <laughs> I do think that when we as a Christian feel that the state has done something that is immoral, we have every right and even responsibility to advocate for justice in any way. And thankfully in America there are many ways to do that. I, I do think that any public advocacy for the stranger is, is less effective if you are not personally advocating for the, for the stranger. Do you, do you see what I'm, what I'm saying there? I mean, it, it, whatever the issue is, I think it's great to be involved in the public debate and call for legislation or challenge legislation. That's, that's a very good thing. But I, I think we just have to be careful of, of feeling like if all my energy is focused on a national issue, I've done my job. It's got to be balanced with something in your own personal life as well. It really does. I think I'd even go so far as to say, if nothing's happening personally, just kind of be, be quiet for a while. You know, work on that, and then go, go national. Uh, <laughs> so, and I know most of you balance this well. Okay. One of the things that's so interesting about this to me is that when the Lord says this to the righteous, they don't, they don't even remember doing it. Well, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? And he says when you did it to one of the least of these, you did it to me. I, I think what that means is they were in such close relationship with Christ that this kind of life just kind of oozed out of them or, or was released from them. It wasn't like this list of things, I've got to do this checklist so I can be right with God. I don't see that here. I think he's just saying, when you abide in Christ, John 15, when you live in Christ, when you're living in the Spirit, the things that break Christ's heart break your heart, and you begin to just, just live it out that way. And I think this is saying, look at your life. If you really are in deep relationship with Christ, this will be what happens you will become a person who opens a table for the stranger. This is just natural for you. And then, of course, the, the last part, 41 to 46, is you know just very, very hard, um, very hard. He says, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And then he says it's because you, know, you, didn't, you didn't care for the vulnerable, you weren't hospitable. And, and it's not the only place where he talks about this. Uh, Matthew 7, when he ends the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So it raises this very delicate question of the assurance of our salvation. Uh, how do you know if you indeed are in relationship with, with God? Um, and, and I would suggest to you, first, the wrong answer. Uh, I know I am a Christian 
because my sophomore year of high school, I went to Young Life camp. And on Thursday night, when they gave the say-so, I was overcome with emotion. I fled out into the wilderness and prayed the sinner's prayer. That's how I know I'm a Christian. Ah. (laughs) Wrong answer, okay? That might be how you begin a Christian life. But that would be like, let's say I've got a dead pine tree in my backyard. It's just hypothetical. Uh, and I, I remember the day I planted it. And the day I planted it was an emotional day. I had dirt over my fingers. I wept as I planted it. I remember putting that pine tree in the backyard. But it's been dead for 15 years. Well, that memory doesn't make the tree alive. The way that you know that you are in genuine relationship with God is, is that your life is different. Not perfect, but there's some kind of a sensitivity to the things of God, that there's some kind of a compassion for the vulnerable, that these things are starting to show up in your life. Or that at least you're struggling with it, wrestling with it. I think that's his point here. Now, always in this passage, I always worry pastorally because the people that really should be worrying about their salvation are thinking, cool, I'm in. And the the people that really ought to be confident that they are because there's all sorts of fruit in their life are going, oh, no, I haven't done enough and I'm damned. No, just kind of let it sit with you. Let it sit with you and just ask the question. And I... Everybody that I know that I walk with in here, I see much evidence of God's work in your life. But ask the question, is compassion for the vulnerable present in my heart? That's one of the signs that the Spirit's alive in you. Now let's end by going back to verse 40. Um, And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers... You did it to me. Wow. That's a game changer. Um, what do we do with that? Well, at one level, I, I think it means Christ is present in the weak and the vulnerable in a special way, and that when we serve them, we there's something sacramental about it. I also think it may mean this. Try this on. Um, I think it means that there is a way in which we encounter Jesus when we care for a stranger that we might not just in our bedroom reading the Bible, that there's a different kind of encounter with Christ that happens when we open our table and welcome it, welcome in someone. And here's where I'm going with this. I've, you all are gracious to give feedback, and, and uh, some of the feedback from this series has been, you're wearing me out, brother. Um, uh, and by the way, we're not even close to done. <laughs> so, so, yeah, you're just, I mean, all this idea of being hospitable and caring and reaching out, I just, I got my own issues, I'm working on my own stuff right now, I just don't have space or energy to, 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 to do this, you know, enough already. To which I would say, um, 
One, that may be true. You may be in a season where you just need to rest. Two, you may know who God brought to your tent and you're caring for them and that's all you need to worry about. Don't do any more. But three, um, this is being taped, so I want to be careful here. Um, <laughs> sometimes we can become so self focused on our needs and our brokenness and our wounds and our issues and our flaws and our needs that it becomes kind of like a black hole that we just go deeper and deeper and deeper into. And what, I, what I'd like to suggest is caring for someone else might actually bring the healing of Christ into your life. I mean, I'm, I believe in healing and introspection and all that kind of stuff, but I don't know about you. I can go down and down and down. Sometimes you never come out. You know, I had the incredible, I, this is summer, it's swim season. I spent a lot of time with these little guys. Probably spent 12 hours last week with uh, Kamani, Jamantre, and DJ. I'm really tired, had a wedding yesterday. Um, God, I feel alive. Golly, I feel alive in Christ. (laughs) I'm so tired tonight. (laughs) But just driving home from Clinton with those little guys, uh, and they they always want to listen to Kurt Franklin, eating Kentucky Fried Chicken at 1030 at night with three black children singing Kirk Franklin. That is good. That is good. I'm alive. (laughs) And every year I think, I'm getting too old for this. This has got to be my last year. <laughs> so, beloved, don't be, over, don't be scared. This, this is not about you just sucking it up and doing more for Jesus. This is you in your own humility and brokenness, discerning calling, being filled with the Spirit, gently moving in His Spirit and timing. And as you step into the wounds of another, miraculously, Christ begins to heal your own wounds. Let's pray.